You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Christina Rauner. Christina is an actor with many TV and theater credits to her name. She is a fellow Juilliard grad who I've had the pleasure of connecting with remotely during this pandemic, and I'm looking forward to having her as a part of my community going forward. She is an artist parent of two teenagers. She's an entrepreneur and is based in Brooklyn, and I'm so grateful she was up for this. The election is next week. I'm hoping you've all voted or are in the process of voting and ensuring that your vote is counted. This is an extremely stressful time, and counting the ballots is going to take more time than we want. So have a plan next week of some healthy things to do for a couple days while we wait. Ways to keep calm, keep your body moving. Um, Don't fall into any traps. Take care of yourselves. I love you all, and I hope you enjoy the 166th episode of The Compass. What does the dark side look like most often for you when I say that? What do you think of? That's a wonderful question to start with. Um, I think, first of all, that my children help me a lot to keep from going to the dark side. Um, And I guess I'll elaborate more on what I mean by the dark side uh, as I get into this. But I found it incredibly liberating um, when I had my kids to realize that no matter how difficult things got, um, no matter how bad my audition was or how frustrated I felt or how unfair I felt the business was or any of those things that can pull us all down, um, you know, when I came home to a child, it refocused my energy and recalibrated my sense of um, what is really important in my life. And I think that that's been incredibly grounding for me. I was really lucky to have agents who were really supportive of my having a family and who were, um, you know, said a lot to me about how it was going to make me a better actor and how it was going to, um, just the election is the election is next to what I was doing. The so, election is next week. You know, I hope you've all voted all or in the process of voting and ensuring that your vote is that. counted. So I would say, uh, this is an extremely stressful time and counting the ballots is going to take more time than we want. Um, so think about it right I now. Have a plan of some healthy um, things to do next week while we wait I to keep calm. very clearly when I was in drama school going through it's not a really going... tough time. I love you all, and I hope you enjoy the 166th episode in my class of The Compass. Is, I think a, a terrible danger for actors, actresses particularly. And, um, you know, everybody else has such a head start on being themselves. There's no way you can be them, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> they've been at it for so much longer than you. And I, re- I remember standing in the hallway in Juilliard talking on the payphone to my mom, who um, was an, an amazing spiritual guide for me in so many ways. And she just said, um, 
you know, I don't know if I believe that there is such a thing as the devil, but if there is that, that's it, that comparison, that, Mm. that way that you measure yourself according to somebody else, because she said all that that will ever do is separate you from your own life that completely shuts off the circulation of your life within you. And so every time I, and my mother eventually developed Alzheimer's and, um, and was gone long before she was gone. But I, I held on to that thought. Um, and I think that that, you know, the tendency that I have had to look at other people and say like, Oh my God, why aren't I doing what they're doing? Or, you know, I've been in audition situations where I had to go into the bathroom and look at myself in the mirror and talk myself down from doing that to myself. Mm -hmm. So I think those are, you know, I, I had that kind of talisman of what she had said, that kind of like mantra of, don't get separated from yourself. And, you know, I'm six feet tall. I, I, there have been a bunch of different things that have um, been what could have been perceived of as obstacles to myself um, that I could have easily wished away or wanted to wish away, which I, which I've worked really hard to not do. So I think having a, a grounding in something bigger, whether it's other people um, or a sort of larger spiritual perspective has been so, so important to me in being an artist in this culture that doesn't necessarily um, value artists the way that other cultures do. I'm curious about the time between getting out of school up until you had your kids and you kind of had that really grounding, obvious pull into your your um, your life outside of acting to to come home to every day. How did you or did you have any success like not grounding all of your self-esteem in your work or how you were feeling perceived as an artist? I know that was really hard for me after school when you had actually gotten to spend all your time doing the thing you love to separate like, oh, my self-worth, I'm still working on it. My self-worth shouldn't be attached to whether I'm working or not or whether someone else lets me work or not. Um, mm, I mean, I feel that I found ways because I kept going, (laughs) but, um, I think it's definitely one of the reasons I postponed becoming a parent because I really wanted to feel, I really felt like I needed a certain kind of validation artistically and creatively um, before I became a mother, because I think I was afraid that being a mother was going to subsume me completely. And if I didn't feel like I had done at least some of the work that I really wanted to do before I did that, um, but no, it was, it was difficult. Um, you know, and I'm married to an actor Mm -hmm. who, uh, 
in especially in our early years together, I felt like he could just kind of roll out of bed and go get a job, <laughs> you know, because he's really incredibly good at what he does and he's really good looking and he's just kind of like, oh, well, there you go. Um, and that was difficult for me at times. Um, I think that I was able to carry enough um, of a sense of my own talent and faith in what I could do. Um, I had enough of that really within me to keep going forward, as I said, but I discovered only, you know, not that long ago that there was a sort of essential piece that was missing in terms of my um, way of thinking about myself as an artist, that I always knew that I could do good work, but there was still part of me that felt like I was kind of essentially wrong. Mm. That, this, that if I could get into a room and show what I could do, that that was where I had value. That was where I um, could, you know, really have faith and trust myself. But that the whole idea of being able to walk into a room and just know that I was right was a completely different task for me. And I had a, a meeting with a casting director, uh, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago now, who said, um, you know, said to me, you don't need to know that you're the best actor. You don't need to think that you're, you have the most talent. You just need to know that you're the right person for that part. Hmm. And it made me realize like, oh, I never think I'm right. I, I go in thinking that I have to compensate for the fact that I'm wrong by being good. So, um, so that's a change I've really tried to make. And I, and then the, I guess the other thing that really helped me was the fact that I loved working on things and I loved, um, you know, I like auditioning. I liked preparing things. I liked the fact that I could work on stuff with my husband and that he was mm -hmm. so smart and helpful with stuff. And, um, and I liked the fact that I got better at it as I went along. I felt more relaxed and I felt more like I could just be in the room, but I, but I didn't realize that I needed to make that kind of mental shift until quite a bit, um, you know, pretty far along in my career. We don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but I'm I'm curious how you and your husband have found ways to support each other being two artists in a relationship. It's a really good question. Um, we have we have been sort of lucky in the way that things have. Um, fallen out for each of us. And of course we're both pivoting now because everything is so strange, but, um, you know, from the very beginning, he was working more on Broadway and I was doing more film and TV. So, mm. um, 
that kind of balance things out. But, you know, we really, especially once we had a family, we just had to kind of go job to job in terms of making our choices about how we were going to be a family, who we were going to take care of in what way. Um, and there have definitely been times when I think probably I have felt more or I did feel more competitive with him, more frustrated with the fact that there were more roles for men, more kind of mystified by the fact that he seemed to be able to not worry about his auditions and not necessarily even work that hard on them and then just go right. and get jobs. <laughs> and I would just be like, um, you know, and I, it took me a really long time to get to the place of knowing that I didn't have to, um, like, um, get him to prepare the way I prepared. Like I went through a certain years of anxiety feeling like he's not working on it. Like, doesn't he care? Isn't he, you know, he needs to try to get this job, you know, and, and think like, he's not doing it the way that I do it. He's going to screw it up. And, <laughs> and then he would go in and he would do it his way. And I would be like, Oh, okay. So it took us a while to get to a place where we could really respect that we have very different ways of going about preparing for things and and you know the communication has been so important and the ability for us each to sort of claim our own methods and our own strengths um that's taken some real work to make space for each other that way the beautiful side of it is that all of the um, shenanigans that we do to ourselves after auditions of feeling, oh, I should have done, oh, I could have, uh, you know, whatever. All that post-audition, all that anxiety, all of the sort of things that are difficult about it and the wonderful aspects of it, it's, it's a real blessing to have someone who so understands what that process is emotionally. Um, and then also, I think it's fair to say for both of us, um, we have tremendous admiration for each other and the work that we do. And we've been able to do, uh, you know, a reasonable amount of work together. Oh, how wonderful. Which has been very exciting. Yeah. My husband and I haven't really gotten to do that yet. Hopeful. Really? One day. Yeah. yeah. Were good. you two in the same class when you were at school together? No, we weren't. He came actually right after I left. Oh, okay. So we just missed each other. Hmm. Um, how, how are you all doing right now in this strange, this strange time that we're in, this pandemic um, and election season, and how are you all holding up? Well, we're holding up fine. I mean, we've been unbelievably lucky in... Um, a number of different things. One is that, you know, he and I both have had other things that we are working on that we've been able to continue to working on that have nothing to, to work on that have nothing to do with acting. So we haven't been left with this like gaping hole of like, oh my God, what am I going to do now? Um, 
so that's been helpful on a practical level and just also on a mental level to have some other thing to occupy you instead of just feeling nothing but that lack of the work. Mm -hmm. um, we've also been really blessed to be able to get out of town. We were out of the city from the end of March until the beginning of July, um, staying in the very palatial house of a friend of mine. Um, you know, so we had very luxurious quarters for a nice long time, which was helpful, um, especially for the kids and being able to have more space and being in a different place when everything was so different here. Yeah, I can imagine that's helpful. Yeah. Especially because your kids are, they're both teenagers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that the, uh, the level of anxiety and uh, distress and dismay that's, I think, permeated all of us or so many of us for this whole last four years just then comes to this kind of, um, you know, high point and, and sort of like, I don't know, it just, as everybody I'm sure is saying this whole year feels like you just can't believe that it can get any more complicated or any worse and then it just does. And so I think we're, we're all feeling pretty whiplashed by what's happening. We, um, we're lucky that we're very close with our kids. Um, we have a really good time together. Um, they both are very different from each other, but very, very good friends. And, um, you know, we're managing the whole college thing with our eldest. And uh, so it's it's nerve wracking. I feel anxious for them, for the world that they're going into. But um, I think we're we're staying sane because we're trying to stay very, very aware of our blessings. And they are many. So. Um, and we're just trying to live one day at a time, which I think is the only thing that, that we can sort of do right now. Mm -hmm. um, can you share a little bit about, you mentioned that you had other projects that you've been working on. I know you have like a side business. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and how that's fit into allowing you to do your acting work and supporting yeah. in other ways? Yeah, um, so I have a side business with a health and wellness company that actually came to my attention through another actor, uh, Jordan Baker, who I've known for a long time. And um, Jordan and I worked together pretty much when I first came out of Juilliard. Um, I was understanding her in Three Tall Women, and then I took over for her and did the tour of the show. And so I've known her for a really long time. And she um, has been working with this health and wellness company called Arbonne for quite a long time. And I talked to her about it um, just a little over four years ago now and started a business with them. I had just had my second bout of cancer. I was very aware of health issues and sort of wanted to make some changes in my own life. And so, and the company is um, vegan, non-toxic, completely sustainable, now a certified B Corporation. So in terms of the ingredient policy and sort of, you know, the importance of educating people and especially women on 
you know, the ingredients that are in the products that we're all using and the potential dangers there in this country where there's nobody paying attention to, you know, whether something is systemically toxic or not. There's no oversight in this industry whatsoever. So, um, and then the green policy, it, it just aligned with my values really well. And, um, and so it made sense to me. And it was one of those choices that I made in the same way that I made my choice to go to drama school instead of do academia, which was totally the way that I was pointed. I just kind of felt like it was the right thing to do. Mm. And nobody around me necessarily thought it was the right thing to do. But I, I just kind of knew that it was going to be a good place for me. So, so I started that about four and a half years ago. And it's been a total godsend. Um, for me, not just in terms of being able to create extra income and be able to, um, you know, have a plan B when something like this pandemic comes along, but um, there there are two aspects of it that have been really eye-opening to me. The first is that to have a work that I can do where the reward is um, very reciprocal to the effort that I put in. <laughs> you know, it's amazing How what novel. that's like. I know, exactly, exactly. Like to have the experience that I work this hard and then I see this result. It's like I had no idea how much I missed that kind of um, sense of satisfaction until I did it. I was like, oh my God, you know, how refreshing <laughs> to feel like I'm getting back exactly what I put in. Um, so that's one thing that I find really energizing. And the other thing that I just love so much about it is the culture of the brand. You know, this is a company that's full of actors and musicians and writers and people who are all using their work um, with this company as a vehicle to um, do other things. So, um, it's a very politically minded group. It's a very service oriented mindset. It's, um, it's just like across the board, such an interesting group of people, um, that I feel really lucky to have that community now that I have a, a sort of ongoing connection with. So that's been really great. Um, and then my husband has been um, doing uh, a coding program that he started um, in, well, it's, he's been amazing with it. He started it in March, early March, has always been a puzzler, um, is really good with tech stuff, went into this incredibly intensive program where they have exams every Monday and you can be dropped from the program at any point, like the old Juilliard feeling. <laughs> <laughs> and he, um, he didn't make it past the first week. He failed the first exam and was kicked out of the program and just decided that he needed a better foundation. If he was going to work at the pace that they were working at. So he spent the next, you know, seven weeks, working on his own to get himself to a place where he could 
really do this 18 week course and go at the pace that they needed him to. And um, then he started doing it at the beginning of April when we were out in Connecticut. So pretty much the whole time we were gone, he was in the study on the third floor and that was it. You know, he didn't make a bed. He didn't wash a dish. He couldn't do anything else, but focus on this and then play with the kids a little bit when they, you know, really needed some dad time. Um, and now he's doing that and he's getting set to start to look for jobs and, and, um, you know, with the idea that this is what's required right now and it won't be forever, but it's a whole other skill set that he's always had and now he's really perfected it. And, and to have the kids watch him fail and then just pick himself up and think like, no, nope, I can figure out how to do this and go through and do the course. And every Monday it was like, has dad come down from the study yet? Did he pass the exam? <laughs> you know, became a real family, family thing. So that's what a cool investment to make during this weird time. And it, the fact that he realized it or had already had it on his mind right at the beginning. So fortunate. It was really fortunate. We both felt that way, but he, especially because he had just sort of made that turn he was so grateful that he already had it in his pocket, you know? And, um, yeah. So well, it'll be interesting to see what he does with it. I know. I know he's very creative. He has a great sense of design and, um, and you know, the same things are required in terms of really being who you are. He's in his mid forties. He's not some 20 year old, you know, but he has, you know, a whole lot of other qualities that can't be taught. So he's trying to really own that and ha having confidence in who you are is what it's all about. So, Have you had any other creative outlets besides acting that you've either just for your own uh, exploration or things that you share with other people? Um, I have started to do some writing. Um, I've had people bugging me to write for a long time. It's been sort of hovering in my ether for a long time, but I come from a family of writers, so I've sort of avoided mm. it. Um, and I don't know what form it will. I mean, I, I think I've had a hard time getting myself to do it regularly because I haven't known what form it was going to take. And I have had a lot of people say, just, you know, just write doesn't, you don't have to know. Um, and when I was doing dance nation at playwrights horizons a couple of years ago, I think, you know, five or six of the other seven women in the cast were all writing their own material, M much younger women. And I was so impressed by that. And I think there's so many more actors now who are, you know, especially now since COVID, writing their own stuff. And so that's something that I, I will get to eventually. And I think that would be my form. I just have to find a way to um, kind of edge my way in sideways, <laughs> you know, without really knowing that I'm doing it. <laughs> 
Um, well, you, since you mentioned your family, what what was their um, reaction when you decided to be an artist for your career? Well, um, they were dismayed. Um, I am the fourth and youngest, mm. um, and no one of my brothers um, decided to go into academia. My father was a professor and a theologian, and my mother was uh, uh, was an ordained Just be careful deacon. of your, your mic oh, there. Sorry. I'm so sorry. It's yeah. okay. Sorry. Um, my mother was a deacon and a spiritual counselor, and but my, I come from a very academic family and my father was always hopeful that one of his children would go into academia. And I was um, the last one in line. And um, my one of my older brothers passed away when I was 14, but um, I was definitely headed in that direction. And then I just did a total 180. I, I completely changed my course my senior year at Yale. So I think when I got into Juilliard, that legitimated it a bit for them. But, um, my father especially was not super supportive. And then once I had been in school for a little while, I think he came to realize that, um, that acting has a very liturgical aspect to it. And that there's something about um, you know, the repetition and the spirituality of it for me that he really recognized was important and, and that I was taking it very seriously. And, um, and then they were enormously supportive. Uh, it just took, it was a, it was a big shift because it really was almost an overnight change for me. Um, had you been it. acting kind of casually up until that point or was it really completely new? No, it wasn't completely new. I, um, I did a, a play my freshman year at Yale and I, um, I was taking six courses. I was doing a, a production of Kiss Me Kate and I had to ask for an extension on a paper and I had to go to the dean of the residential college I was living in. And she totally read me the riot act. And she said, you know, sometimes we make mistakes and maybe you're not Yale material. And if you're doing plays, you know, <laughs> maybe you're not cut out to be here. And because of the kind of, you know, intellectual achievement was so much the currency and of value in my family that I, she scared me to death. So I stopped doing plays. And then I, I was a history major and I just dug in academically and I had an amazing experience and, but then my senior year, I met Athel Fugard and mm. I, um, I sat in a living room with him and about 12 other undergraduates and I just had an aha moment and I realized that the, his level of engagement um, with his work spiritually, physically, emotionally, um, politically, psychologically, his whole self was involved in what he was doing. And I thought, that's, that's it. That's what I want. So I, I withdrew an application that I had to Oxford and I applied to Juilliard instead. Wow. 
Um, and I was really bad. I was really bad when I started because I was so in my head, but I got out of it eventually. I mean, that's the, the, the nice thing about Juilliard is it's four whole years, which most grad programs aren't. So yeah, you have, you have the time to really learn those things. Yeah. And in a certain way, I felt like I was in an advantage because I didn't really have any habits. You know, yeah. once I sort of broke through and understood that I had to use my body in a different way, I didn't have anything to undo, really. Do you ever go back to the school? I have gone back to the school. I, um, I've been back to see some other productions. I went back and took a class with Moni um, at one point. I went back for the, um, for the 50th anniversary. Um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't give me the heebie-jeebies the way it used to. I used to like, and I had a great experience there. I mean, I was very supported and I didn't, you know, but it's still, yeah, it it still made me go like, go back. (laughs) It took me a while. I kind of needed everybody in the classes under me to graduate and leave before I could go back and feel comfortable. Yeah. Have you done any teaching? Has that ever been attractive to you? Um, it is attractive to me and I haven't done a whole lot. I've done some coaching with kids who are doing auditions and stuff like that. Um, but yes, I, it's something I would love to do. I, um, and I've substituted for people who were teaching who needed me to kind of step in for them. And I, I always find it, um, you know, I love watching really young actors working and I love, to be reminded of how much I know, like things that you just take for granted that you realize, oh, I actually had to learn that and now it's in my system. Um, yeah, I, I would love to do that at some point. And, you know, our eldest kid is um, getting very into drama now and we have to be very careful not to do teaching inadvertently when, we don't, <laughs> when it's not invited. <laughs> uh, just try to stay very separate. So, can you tell me a little bit about when you and your husband decided to have kids and what that decision was like in your careers and kind of what your thought process was? Yeah. um, As I said earlier, you know, it was important to me that I have uh, a good amount of work done that I felt like I had sort of established myself, or I don't even know how I would have said it, but I just that I would feel, um, you know, that I was ready to take a pause, which I didn't actually end up doing. But um, there's a considerable age difference between my husband and me. So I was not, not, I was ready earlier Mm -hmm. than he probably would have been. Um, But, and I think we expected that it would probably take longer to get pregnant the first time. But it was clear that it was something that we we both really wanted. And, um, you know, I I don't think there's any way to anticipate how much is going to change your life (laughs) beforehand. (laughs) There's just no way to know that. Um, we, We started to try, I think, within about a year after we 
got married and we had been together for quite a while before we got married. But I think there was more, it, it sort of came more out of a sense of like, well, we should do it. Like if we're going to do it, we should do it. So we did. And then it happened right away. Um, and we just, you know, I just took our kid with us everywhere. So I kept working. I did regional jobs. I did, you know, um, and I actually went back to work doing workshops and stuff like that here in the city. Um, before I would probably recommend that somebody else do that. I think I was anxious. I, I was so afraid that my mother self was going to take over and my actor self was going to disappear. Um, but I, I jumped the gun a little bit, I think. But I think that that's a real fear for a lot of creative women that once they have children, they're not going to be taken as seriously as artists. And, um, I was scared about that. Are there any lessons you've learned about advocating for yourself through those experiences of bringing your child with you to jobs and negotiating, et cetera? I, I didn't have much difficulty. I was very clear to not, um, you know, if I, if I were ever in a callback situation or whatever, I was very clear with myself what my own policy would be if I got a job that was out of town, for example. Um, and I just, you know, took my kid with me and figured out how to deal with what their needs were going to be when I was there. Um, I think that there was, um, a film that I did just a couple of days on a film when, uh, our first child was about seven months old. And I remember asking if I could bring them with me and um, bring someone along to care for them while I was working and sort of what the setup would be. And I got a little bit of pushback from it. And afterwards I realized like, well, you know, if I were a lawyer, I probably wouldn't be taking my kid to the courtroom with me you know, and trying to figure out how to do that. I would be paying for them probably to stay at home with a nanny or something, but it's a weird thing in this business because, you know, you're working different hours and, you know, I, I found that people were very flexible and I have never felt like, um, I was either not given a job because I had a family or, um, you know, I was very clear to just sort of keep that whole part of my life separate. But I think it's um, a reflection of how little support there is in business in general for families and for working mothers that like you assume that it's up to you to just figure it out. And, um, you know, even though as actors, we might be more likely to sort of see if a set could make an accommodation for us because we're traveling with a baby and we want to be able to nurse or whatever. It's like, you know, we have no system in this country to really support women who are doing this work while they're also raising families. Yeah. So in any field, um, no, in any field. So, um, I think that I did a lot of the legwork myself. I, I just did it all myself and I was lucky to have family people who helped me and everything, but I, I have become aware of the fact that, you know, it's a, 
we consider it a total luxury if somebody has some sort of system to take care of people's women's children while they're working and doing other things. And obviously I don't think that's the way it should be. Um, so yeah. I mean, so much of this, the industry, like the system that we're working within, like you had said at the very beginning, like it's not set up to support artists Mm -hmm. and especially not to support women or people with families. And I'm curious if there's any ways that you've found to feel like you've been able to take your power back from that system along the way. I feel like sometimes I can get trapped in my mind about feeling resentful towards the parts of the system that like towards the casting directors or towards the agents that the parts that I feel like are the bureaucracy between me and getting to do the work (laughs) when I know we all need to work together, but it's also can be a, it's a, um, you know, it's a bit of a a mind game that we've all just accepted. (laughs) Right. It is a mind game. It is a mind game. Um, you know, it's difficult. I certainly took me a long time to get to the point, for example, where I would say that I wouldn't work. uh, You know, first of all, I wouldn't do things for no money and I wouldn't do things if they didn't at least cover the cost of my childcare. Um, So readings and things like that, that people assume, you know, you're going to want to come just because of course you want to have a chance to read a new play or something like that. Um, And I've been extremely lucky to have both the support of family people around me and also to have maybe a little bit more financial leeway than some women have in this situation. Um, But no, I don't, I don't feel that there's, you know, as I said, I just kind of did what I needed to do to, to take care of it myself. I think I, as a personality, unless this way now, certainly, but when my kids were little, I would be more inclined to be anxious that they were going to be, you know, a burden or that it wasn't fair for me to ask for any extras or that, you know, that old mentality of like, oh, I'm so lucky to be working. Mm -hmm. I don't want to make any fuss about anything. Um, I would make a lot more fuss now, (laughs) you know, I really would. Um, and I had individual people, individual directors who were extremely supportive and helpful as, you know, in their personal choices toward me, but there was nothing systemic. There's nothing systemic there to support you. Um, you know, I just figured out a good game plan when I was going to, you know, La Jolla or New Haven or whatever. And I spent a lot of money on babysitting. And um, it's ridiculous. Are there any mentors that have been really important to you as an artist in your career? Oh, God, I wouldn't imagine that would be such a hard question. yes uh ron van lu is someone who hired me very early on in my career and to whom i would always go back for class um 
who I felt like, um, you know, I used to say about my mother that if I was ever in a place of distress or anything, if I spoke to my mother, I always felt like she could kind of set me back on the right road mm-hmm. and, set, you know, bring me back to what really was important and, and kind of set me on um, back on track in some really important emotional ways and spiritual ways. And I felt like Ron was kind of like my acting version of that. Like, you know, and he got to know me well enough over the years that he could go like, oh, Christina, no, that's that thing that you do. Like, you do that <laughs> thing. <laughs> um, and I just felt like his eye is so great and he has such a wonderful way of expressing things to actors and he has so much respect for actors um he's an amazing human and also such an amazing teacher so you know if I were ever in a sort of total creative quandary he would definitely be somebody that I would want to talk to um and in a different kind of way you know, I studied with Michael Kahn, as I'm sure you did too at Juilliard, and he um, he and I always got along very well. I thought he was a wonderful teacher. My husband's worked with him as a as a director, and I know had a slightly different experience. Mm-hmm. But um, I I had two in, encounters with Michael that I that really well three actually that really have been so important for me. The first was when I had been out of school for just a couple of years and I was auditioning for him for something. And he asked me afterwards sort of how it was all going. And I said, well, it's good. It's hard because, you know, I'm really tall and I find that I'm losing parts because I'm tall. So I'm just trying to really grow into my height (laughs) instead of, you know, Shrinking. shrinking. Yeah. And he looked me in the eye and he put a hand on my shoulder and he said, you know, but if you can do that, that is absolutely the most creative response you can have to that situation. And mm. so he was very encouraging of like, be more and more and more of who you are. And then the second experience I had was when I auditioned for him for, for two days in a row for two completely different plays. One, he was artistic director and it was sitting there in, in that capacity in the room. And then the other play he was actually directing. And after I'd done the second audition, he came around the table and if I could have written out what I wanted my acting teacher from drama school to say to me, you know, 12 years out about my work, Michael said it. I could not have written a more wonderful (laughs) thing than what he said. He did not hire me. Hmm. And that was a, a really important moment of realization for me. It was like, wow, he really likes me as a person. He said, blah, blah, blah about my work. He knows me really well, you know, and I'm still not going to get this job hmm. because, you know, I don't look right next to the other women that he's already cast or the guy he has is shorter or is it, you know, whatever. And I, I just remember thinking like, this is a really good kind of watermark of like how random this life can be because there are so many things that go into these choices that have nothing to do with 
you know? And we probably all immediately tell ourselves that it was, oh, oh yeah. it was, I did that wrong and it was all about me. Yeah, was... exactly. I think we want to feel that we have some kind of control over it. And so we want to be able to think that there's some quantifiable thing that makes it go one way or the other. Otherwise, it's just too scary and random. But this was so, it was so valuable for me because I was like, I so just like, I walked out with that roll in my hand, mm. you know? And that was like nothing. I was so sad. I actually never got to have class with him at Juilliard because oh, he no, was, really? my class, my first year was his final year at school. Oh, right. And so then Jeez. we had Jim Houghton, who was incredible, but wasn't teaching acting classes. Yeah. Um, but I've always heard he was an amazing teacher. Yeah, he has a kind of surgical eye. He can look at something, and I would watch a scene, and I would be like, that's not working. I don't know. what. What is it? What's, and he would just go, mm-hmm. and you would go, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, if you are feeling like you're going to the dark side or you're in that comparison place, um, are there any tangible tools that you turn to again and again, like books you reread or anything like that? Well, I read Mary Oliver poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, which I love. And I meditate and I, I try to listen to and hear um, what that demon is. You know, there are real, real demons that I think can just you to shreds if you let them so part there's a kind of a peaceful process which is sort of sitting still breathing kind of trying to talk quietly to myself and say like okay you know this is like you know this isn't all of it you know this isn't the whole picture you know you know that also, you know, this is what you do. This is your thing that you do. Mm-hmm. Oh, here comes this old friend of mine, this demon friend of mine. Like, I recognize you. Hi. Go away now. You know, because there's no getting rid of it, right? Ever. So you just have to, I just sort of try to practice with a sense of acceptance that this is sort of where my spirit can tend to go sometimes. And I need to um, let that be what it is so that it can, so I can move through it and come out the other side. I try not to put up my guard, you know, and, and kind Mm. of go like, ugh. but it's, it, it's hard sometimes. Um, so there's that kind of quiet protecting moment. There's going into a different world, which I find, you know, the poetry is really wonderful because it's so specific. Her work is so specific. It's so grounded in nature. It's so like, you know, look at this flower, hear these geese, <laughs> you know, it's very grounded in immediate experience. And then sometimes there's just the like having to scream at that 
like having to tell that devil to like back off <laughs> you know sometimes just sitting quietly doesn't work and that's a place in which my husband's presence is really helpful because he can reflect and we can reflect that for each other we can say like oh that's you know mm -hmm. I try to remember that because I when my husband is in that place and I I'm really good at telling him yeah <laughs> that's not real your brain is playing tricks on you yeah you need to think about these five things go drink some yeah. water go work out yeah. you know? right, right, and right, then right. I have to remind myself when I'm in that place yeah yeah to do the same thing for myself because I often don't have as much forgiveness for myself as I do of for others of course not we don't we don't and it's something that I say to my kids too when they get in that mode I just say like if you can hear how you're talking to yourself, like, you know, would you talk to your friend Phoebe that way? You would never say that stuff to Phoebe if she didn't have a great audition or if she, you know. So I try to remind them to sort of try to talk to themselves the way that they talk to their friends. Mm -hmm. um, but, and it's been interesting to go through this process with Trump and the pandemic and everything, because on some level, I think it's sort of put those creative anxieties in their place. When you have a much bigger, <laughs> you know, kind of like end of the world yes. anxiety, it does, um, it kind of makes me feel like I would be happy to go back to worrying about, you know, just whether yeah. I suck. <laughs> We're all, because, we've all been in survival mode in some way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the last question is, is there anything that you want to recommend? Any piece of artwork that you've taken in recently, a TV show, book, whatever that may be? Oh, wow. Um, well... If you haven't seen Until They See Us, you should watch that. Um, it's amazing. Really hard to watch. Um, a lot of things on, you know, I'm reading White Fragility. I'm, I'm getting caught up on a lot of the systemic racism reading that I should have been doing a while ago. Um, so that's been really important for me. Um, what else? I har I hardly have any time to watch anything. Um, oh, but I will just say for the women actresses, actors out there, if anyone hasn't seen Happy Valley, you should watch Happy Valley because, first of all, it's so brilliantly made. It's a little gruesome, so if you don't have the stomach for that, just be a little bit aware. But the actress who plays the lead in it, and I can't remember her name, but it's a brilliantly portrayed um, middle-aged police chief in England, Scotland, somewhere, who looks like a middle-aged police chief. I mean, it's a it's a series that could only be made in England, where women are actually allowed to look the way that they look. <laughs> um, and it's so realistic and she's so incredible and 
it's so compelling and there's nothing glamorous about it. And it's just, um, it's just wonderful because she is a woman and the woman who plays, I'm so sorry, I don't remember people's names, but the woman who played the evil maid in Downton Abbey mm. um, is also in it playing a completely different kind of role. So for anybody who's seen Downton Abbey, then to see her play this other role, it's just brilliant. And, you know, to see um, a story that's focused on a woman, as I said, like that, who is an amazing performer and looks like a middle-aged woman, actually in real life, like a cop. <laughs> I'll have to check it out. I haven't, I haven't gotten into that at all. Well, Christina, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. conversations valuable to your life as an artist and would like to support the ongoing production of The Compass, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thecompasspodcast. Pledges start at as little as $1 a month. Anything you can give would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you have a moment, please rate or review in iTunes. Every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller, Music by Brandon Spieth, audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.